Let's rock and roll, baby. We're back from holidays, 2024, January. I think it's going to be a good year, man. What are your thoughts? It's going to be nice. I like a lower interest rate climate. Mm -hmm. I like the thought of maybe a little bit more inventory. What are you thinking? Same. It's been nice. We talked about on last episode, rates haven't been moving as sharply down, and we'll get to that in a sec, as they had been leading up to our last episode, but it's been nice that they've been pretty stable in the past month. There hasn't been a lot of pressure to move them way back upwards, although we have our good and bad days. So I'm excited that rates seem to be moving into this new area, and I'm hopeful that there's more inventory, get some people under contract. I know both of us do, so that's exciting. Happy about that. That conversation that I was having this morning when we were in Social Health's kitchen with the agent that I met with, she's big on new construction. I would love an environment this year with interest rates where you're not worried about rates going up during a new construction phase and if borrowers will qualify or not. So it's nice to move away from that volatile market that was last year with interest rates, that's for sure. Yeah, so I, I rode that exact same situation up and down. I had a borrower that went under contract in July. New construction, the home was supposed to be ready in November. I think the rate went up 2% from where we started the process to where we were in November. Thankfully, this is the one that we're closing this week. I think I was telling you about rates have dropped back down to where they were like last summertime. So it's, you know, there is ultimately no change from what we thought they would be. Although there were times where it was significantly higher. But yeah, I mean, if they would have closed in November, it would have been a 2% higher interest rate than what we planned on. And I'm glad that it will be the other way now for people that are going under contract to build new homes that their rate might be a little bit lower than what we're thinking right now. Which would be really good news. I don't ever want to stress about people qualifying ever again during new construction. No, that's a good point because for my borrower, that higher interest rate just meant a higher payment. But for other borrowers, that's the difference between qualifying and not qualifying. Like this borrower could absorb the payment and just, it wouldn't have been ideal, but could have made it happen. But yeah, that's the difference between qualifying and not qualifying. That's a tough conversation to have. There's nothing you can do. You're subject to the market and it just hasn't worked out. Such a weird area too, because like one of the ones that sticks with me is they did not qualify anymore. And it was like 70K of their own money that they put into the transaction. And this was like, you know, some builds are what, three, four months. Mm -hmm. If it's like best case scenario, most of them are six plus. This one was almost like 11 months. So riding that wave was such a weird experience. We ended up closing them, but yeah, I'm hoping this year we don't have any more of that. Yeah, that'll be fun. Less stress is is better than more stress. So one of the things that came out last week was the CPI number, which is a measure of inflation. We talked about that in previous podcasts. It'll probably be something to mention and monitor over the episodes to come, but that came back as expected at 0.3. So that just further tells us that rates are probably stable for now. I mean, if if that number would have went way up, probably would have seen some pressure on rates to go up as well. Came back as expected. Rates have generally reacted well to that. So do you have any updates specifically on rates before we move on to other things? Yeah, CPI guys, when CPI goes up, I mean, it's an index. Inflation is just not best case scenario for mortgage-backed securities, for mortgage interest rates. So now that these indicators are showing some stability in the inflation numbers, it's allowing the mortgage rates to stay stable. We're sort of reiterating what we started with, but Mm -hmm. now that you have a stable environment there, you start looking at reports within these jobs, reports and manufacturing Mm -hmm. and retail sales, and you're starting to see the consumer stagnate a little bit with spending. You're starting to see a little bit of lag in manufacturing. My 20 years in the industry now has shown me with those reports that you're going to start seeing 
a little bit of a push of lower interest rates because you need to start stimulating some economic activity. So I mm -hmm. think we're in the ground floor of like these things that I ramble about that I <laughs> that I'm so passionate about. But it's it's in the area where I think the consumer is going to get a little bit of a relief in interest rates. So it's nice. It's going to be nice for us. Good, good. So next time when we talk about this, we're hoping for more good news. But thanks for that update. Yep. You're um, welcome. I like the other stuff that we're planning on talking about today. We have some product stuff, some underwriting stuff, some tips that we want to give to realtors. We have an interview with one of the local GOAT realtors. I don't know how close he is or not close to, to being on screen right now, but we'll bring him in a little bit for a chat about his career and advice for new agents. But I, th I think maybe we start with a loan product thing, something yeah. that people ask us a lot about because I'll just lay the groundwork for the situation where this, this applies. But a lot of times people call us and say, hey, I want to buy this home. It's listed for $100,000. It looks like it needs some repairs. In the remarks, it says cash or renovation loan only. And how am I going to buy this place? So the way we do that is with a renovation loan. What are some of our renovation loan options, Beds? So you have a couple of options. So if you're a veteran, you could do purchase plus improvements with the VA loan, which is a nice option. So that's no money down. The next tier or the next option is the FHA 203K. That's three and a half percent down. In rural development, I haven't done one yet. I'm looking forward to the RD loan sort of being a, a bigger option for buyers in the future, but you can now purchase plus improve with RD. Mm -hmm. And then on the conventional side of things, which is a 5% down minimum, you can use that loan purchase plus rehab. So got some options. We have some options. Do you like doing them? I like doing them when I'm able to set the proper expectations up front. Yeah. If people think that these type of loans flow like a normal type of loan, then they're in for a little bit of a reawakening, which can be challenging for me. But I think over the years, I've gotten better at explaining some of the nuances about it, some of the reasons why it takes longer than a normal loan. So I don't hate it at that point. I, I feel fine with it and able to sleep at night if I'm able to set those expectations. But I definitely want to be clear about that with people, that this is not a normal loan. It's a great outlet for people that are looking to buy a house that's in disrepair and you wouldn't be able to finance it any other way. Right. Because if a home is in disrepair and the roof's leaking and it's missing copper piping and all that stuff, you're not going to be able to get that loan through conventional financing or just regular type of financing. You're going to need to do a rehab loan like this or pay cash, which is obviously something we have no involvement in. So, you know, I'll do it for people. It's just, you just got to make sure they know what they're in for. One of the things I want to mention because we talk about like, okay, conventional loan, you put 5% down on those type of loans. On FHA 203K loan, you put 3.5% down. But I want to stress that that down payment is based on the purchase price plus the cost of renovations and repairs. Um, so for example, if you buy a place for $100,000 and you're doing $100,000 of renovations or repairs, that's $200,000 total. So your down payment is going to be based off of that amount, right? And so how do we come up with that number for people, Beds? So good question. I'd like to walk people through this when I'm talking about this loan product. It's the reason why I asked you, do you like the product is because I actually like the product. Not mm -hmm. a lot of loan officers like it. And I think really the, the expectation up front is huge with this product is basically, you know, it's not a quick timeline. You need, you need a little bit of a rubber band effect there with the closing timelines. I just, I don't know if rubber band effect made any sense there, but where I'm, <laughs> I'm just nodding. 
Yep. Yeah, yeah. I'm get did I just get nervous? So basically, guys, you go under contract, you need to meet with a consultant and you also need to meet with a contractor. So the consultant part we facilitate, it's not a long process to get a consultant. It's just, you know, how busy are contractors these days? They're very busy. And it's like, how quickly can you get a contractor to meet with your buyer and the consultant? So let's say, I don't know, that takes a couple of days, maybe takes a couple of weeks. So yeah. you go under contract, you're waiting for the contractor to meet the borrowers at the house with the consultant, and then a scope of work is, is determined. The consultants, I mean, I love this because the consultant's going to draw up the paperwork and make sure everything is sort of all set with that part. So it's easy for us to receive that information, but the consultant's going to be there to make sure that the scope of work is being done for the property's minimum standards when it comes to the loan. So mm -hmm. it's not like the contract is going to do a bunch of work and it's not going to get that property up to sort of a minimum standard. Yeah, so exactly. it's nice under yes. contract. Sorry, but go ahead. I was gonna say, it's important to know because there are, there's two, there's two types of things people are going to pay for in these type of loans when it comes to the repairs or renovations. It's going to be the items that get the place up to the minimum health and safety standards. And then there's going to be the things that they want to do just because they want to do them. So the health and safety stuff is like making sure that all the systems are functional, the roof's intact, you know, the house is solid and livable. And the other things, the, the wants more or less are things like renovating a kitchen or redoing all the flooring in the house or things that you don't have to do, but you want to do. So this consultant's going to kind of break that down into one thing that you're ultimately going to take to the contractor who's going to bid on that work for us. And that's how, when we know how much the loan amount's going to be and what your down payment's going to be. But it isn't until that point that we know what we're even working with. Because sometimes I've had situations where people are like, oh yeah, it's going to be $30,000 worth of work, no big deal. And then they meet with the consultant, they meet with the contractor, and it's like $80,000 worth of work. And that's a big difference in down payment. They might not even qualify for that additional amount of money. So there's a lot of considerations. So this front part of the loan, is a lot of work for people and there's money you have to pay the consultant up front and you got to get the contractor on board so like these loans people need to know that that level of coordination has to happen within the first two to four weeks but once we have it out of the way once the contractor has given us the quote and we know how much it's going to cost total that's a normal loan from that point and, and then it's easy it's just the hard part is that first 30 days so on it nowadays a normal loan is closing in let's say 30 or 45 days i mean i think 45 days is probably a little bit longer than what's really needed you probably need like 30 days to close the loan at this point these renovation loans are probably 60 days you know add another 30 days to kind of coordinate all the schedules between the consultant and the contractors contractor has to give their resume they have to get their insurance a lot of these contractors are not great with tech and paperwork and that sort of stuff so you know there's a little bit of tracking people down to get paperwork. So outside of that, all of these loans are great. So if you have a property, or you know, someone that has a property that you need a renovation loan for, like we do it and we do a good job of it. Yeah. So it's like go under contract, consultant, contractor, scope of work, final numbers determined, comes back to Chris and Randy. If we're doing the loan, we're Chris and Randy in this case, <laughs> we're going to do the loan based off of that number. So which is purchase price, plus the rehab costs. And it's like typical flow from there, guys. At the closing, the seller's paid off. You know, real estate commissions are paid like they typically are. So there's nothing different there. Or nothing looks different with that. On our end, once it is closed, we're going to release a certain amount of that money to the contractor to get the work done or the milestone of work that the consultant and the contractor went over. So there might be three phases of work that needs to be done. 
and the contractor is getting paid three separate times. That's what the consultant in the contract that goes over. So it's, it's a lot of work on our end, but really it's not if you know what you're doing. And I, I mean, I think the thing is, is like, I want to relay that these are loans that can be done and we do them often and it's not a hard process. It's just a little labor intensive. Yeah, definitely. So great loan. Ask us about renovation loans anytime. We'd be happy to talk about it. Next thing that we want to run through, underwriting tip this month. And the thing that Beds and I wanted to talk about was weather-related escrow holdbacks since we are in the dead of winter. Tell me your thoughts on escrow holdbacks as it relates to underwriting. So issues that come up during the winter, flaking paint on government loans, maybe loam and seed on a new construction, maybe a driveway that needed to be done. So you're going to get a certificate of occupancy in these cases, but on the financing side, these things need to be done. So it doesn't prevent us from closing your loan. We're going to hold back whatever the cost is to remedy those items and whatever they are, you know, it's, it's transaction specific, but you need to get a quote. Yep. From from either a licensed professional or somebody in the trades, if they don't yeah. need to be licensed, if that, borrower, that quote needs to be signed by all parties, just so we're on the same page, that's important. Just both buyer and seller have to acknowledge it. Randy, two different things, and I'll let you explain this. Yeah. There's either a seller holdback of escrow or a buyer. What's the yeah. difference with those? Yeah. So it really just determines how much money we're going to hold back. So, and what Beds is referencing is who's paying for this money. So let's use an example that I'm dealing with right now where a driveway is not going to be able to be completely finished. And we still obviously want to close as opposed to waiting for that driveway to be installed in the springtime. So contractor put together their quote, say $1,500 in this case. If the buyer is setting that money aside into this side escrow account, again, an escrow account is just a, a place where that money gets held until the work is complete. And then we release it. So if the buyer is putting that $1,500 into it, they only have to put in that $1,500. If the seller is funding that, then they have to put one and a half times that $1,500. Again, this is an example. So instead of $1,500, it ends up being $2,250. But that's not a fee. It's not a money that they're going to lose. It's just money that is held there until the work is complete. And then it is released. So in the springtime, when the driveway's installed, or if in another situation it was flaking, peeling paint, or if it was the lumen seed, the money is released once we prove that, that that stuff is finalized. So it's just a way to ensure that it does get done because say, you know, say the buyer never makes a mortgage payment and the bank forecloses on the home, but that driveway was never done. Well, they have the money set aside, the, the bank or lender, doesn't matter if it's Norcom or anyone else, they have the money set aside to pay for that. So they are protected in that case. And that's what the idea of all that sort of stuff is. So a lot of times people are like, hey, can we just escrow hold back for this and, and that? The most common uses are for like weather related things in the winter. And that's going to be from October basically till April. You just dominated that. No big deal. <laughs> no big deal. So I yeah, thought that no was a timely one. So we figured we'd share that one. Other um, stuff. Real quick is that you do have to it's a couple hundred dollars basically where there's some admin stuff on the backside where we need to verify the work is done. So, you know, we got to get an appraiser out there to verify the work is done. So that appraiser needs to be paid. So yeah, it's, it's the escrow or the quote amount plus a couple hundred bucks for that. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so definitely can be done though. So no worries there. Before we bring Leo on, I thought we'd have some fun talking about, we were talking about this before, just some tips that we can give to realtors for things that we see on our end that we always thought maybe would be helpful if they knew these things. 
but we yep. we never mention it just because it's easier to keep our mouth shut sometimes. So if any realtors are listening to this, uh, there's a few tips that we want to share. Did you want to get started, Beds? Where do we start, Randy? <laughs> um, we could write a book about this also, just so you know. We could. Yeah. Um, I think two areas that I'd like to be in. Where's the appraisal report, number mm -hmm. one? And number two, the commission paid by the buyer mm -hmm. um, and why that doesn't appear on the settlement statement at the end. Or at least so, sometimes doesn't. At least and, sometimes doesn't. And when it doesn't, why it might not. So Things go fast in our mm -hmm. industry. And title people aren't perfect. We're not perfect. But just to relay, a commission paid to a real estate agent from a buyer is not an APR item. So on the mortgage side of things, technically, where there's no responsibility of ours to disclose it. But if you do tell us up front that there's a commission due, we can put it on our documents so the client can actually see, okay, here are the closing costs plus the commission that I'm paying to the real estate agent. So it's nice to get that up front, but also if it doesn't appear the day of the closing or the day before the closing and you're getting the settlement statement, you're like, hey, where's my commission? I, the number one thing is, is don't think you got to call the mortgage company because really it's nothing that our closers are doing or anything. Mm -hmm. It's just the title company, the processor yeah. at the title company, just let them know. They'll add it to the settlement statement and then it just, it just gets added to the final numbers. So that's really where it started. I want to piggyback on a couple of things of that. I think the assumption on our end is that a buyer is not going to be paying any real estate commission unless we're told otherwise. It's not, it's not like it's a super uncommon thing for that to happen. We certainly work with people when buyers have to pay a portion of the agent's commission and that's totally fine. But I think if we don't hear anything from anyone, we would just assume that they're not doing that. So we would just operate as if they're not paying any commission because that probably is the more common thing. The only way we would know that is if you told us ahead of time. So there was no mechanism for us to know that a buyer is paying that unless you like go out of your way to tell. And I'm certainly not asking, you're probably not asking. So sometimes in those scenarios, it's like, where's my commission? It's, it, please know that, you know, we just had no idea that there was a commission and we're only yep. finding out at the very end because you gave your commission statement to the title company and it would be nice to know. So the, the advice I would say is please let us know so we can have an accurate representation of what the money will be due from the buyer because I think it's tough to tell a buyer the whole way along through the process that they're going to owe X and then when we get to closing, it's X plus the remaining commission because we didn't know about the remaining commission. So if we're able to tell them up front, I think it makes the whole thing a lot smoother and plus sometimes... I hate to say this, but there are situations where the borrowers barely have enough money to come in with what they owe for the loan with between closing costs and the remaining down payment. Yeah. And they're going by by the skin of their teeth. And then you add an extra $2,500 in a buyer's commission. And that's like the difference between things working and not working. And that's a tough situation to be in. So the advice would be tell us if there's extra buyer paid commission. And then the other piece is just understand why we don't always know about it just because there's no mechanism. I should add that it is, there isn't anything in place that prevents the lender from adding it. So mm -hmm. I just want to advise you guys, it's legitimately you guys just making sure that the sheet that you fill out with the title company, just make sure the processors, you know, putting it on there correctly. Mm -hmm. So if it's not there, the call is to the processor. Mm-hmm. Do you have something else on the appraisal you want to ask, add? Oh, yeah. So I get asked a lot, Chris, where's the appraisal? Randy, are you asked? Randy, where's the appraisal? <laughs> I get asked quite a bit. Yeah. yeah. It's it's tough to say I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But these yeah. are your appraisers, Chris. 
these are my appraisers. We we place the order. We have the AMC in house. You know, we like to brag about how awesome our AMC is and our boy Ellie, which I mean, communication is so awesome having that in our backyard. But like at the end of the day, guys, we're all held hostage to the appraiser. So listing agents should, should probably write down the name and number of the appraiser that they are going to let into the house. Mm-hmm. And at any point, if you're curious of where the appraisal report is, I don't mind the question. A lot of times I turn around and I'll ask Ellie, hey, what's the deal with this appraisal? It was due in on this day. We don't see it yet. And Ellie's just turning around and, you know, calling the appraiser and hopefully the appraiser is going to respond to an email or a call. So we've had times they've gone totally MIA. I mean, I've had appraisers that did not respond. They blew through the due date. Week goes by, nothing crickets. And then we'll get it on the following Monday morning with like no explanation of why it was late. And obviously we don't want to work with people like that. And that's, it's up to us to reevaluate whether or not we want them on the list. But the reality is there's not that many appraisers. So it's like, we need to find ways to work with these people and not just cut off everybody that was, a few days late on on their report. Otherwise, we'd have no appraisers to work with. That I mean, things got awkward when when things were really really busy. Yeah. I mean, appraisers were hiding, so we don't want to give the impression that that's the market or climate right no, now. But not at all, guys. If you are wondering where the appraisal report is, and you're a listing agent, it's so much quicker to just pick up the phone and call the listing agent because we got to go through back channels to get that in yeah. to get that in, answer, and it's. How frustrating is that, by the way? It's like the things that are toughest in these transactions are the things that we have little or no control over. And this is the perfect example. We place that order. We get a due date. There's no sense in following up before the due date. And then once the due date comes and we don't have the report, then the AMC starts following up on a daily, sometimes hourly basis, depending on how much urgency we're applying. But like, just know that if we don't have the appraisal, it's not because we're sitting on it. You know, we get the appraisal the same time the customer gets the appraisal. Um, but it is a little bit out of our control. Any other like items that you could come up with? You know, I have, I don't know, a million. So why don't we save them for the next podcast? So every every time we'll we'll break out a few, just because I want to bring on Leo to chat a little more, and I don't want to go too long. But I have some good ones. I think we could probably incorporate a few. So for any realtors that listen from a month to month basis, they'll maybe learn a couple different things and, and might educate them through our process. So I'll, I'll share some next time. Can I lay some tracks on our next guest? Let's do it. So Leo Bergalt is an agent in York County. He is on the backside of his career now. He's enjoying his time. I'm sure his wife has been trying to enjoy his time for the last 20 years. Um, (laughs) She's in the other room looking at me right now. I'm at Leo's house. But Leo was really huge for my business. He took a chance on me when I was a rookie loan officer. You know, one of the greater people to work with. I don't think I've ever seen Leo not be happy. And if he is not happy, it's because I don't know why he wouldn't be because there's always been a smile on this guy's face, but started in the early eighties. And here we are in 2024. He's still helping people out now, but he's not doing it at the pace he used to. Mm-hmm. And one of the greatest laughs on the planet. So well, then let's bring him on. All right, let's do it. Thanks for coming on the podcast, man. Me and Chris were talking about, you know, let's have, you know, let's have a local realtor on and we got talking and we said, you know what, no, who'd be a great person to have on is you just with all your experience and some of the things I've learned from you too. He's learned from you. I figured we'd have you on to, to chat about that. So yeah. all right. Well, what's business you. like for you nowadays? Well, it's winding down a little bit, but that's okay. I don't mind it at all. Still out there though. Most every yeah. day talking with yeah. other brokers and <laughs> buyers and sellers still doing it. 
how long has it been? 38 plus years. Oh, made okay. 38 years last September. And what made you get into real estate? Oh, here we go. Uh, <laughs> Let's go. After serving a seven-year stint in the U.S. Army, I came back home and went to work for Nike. And when Nike, you know, 79 to 85, when Nike closed in 1985, I met a lady upstairs, Mrs. Langevin. She said, Leo, you'd be really good at real estate. You should join my husband. I said, fine. So I joined right. Bill Langevin at that time. And everything started for me because as Nike closed, people were transferring to Oregon. Mm -hmm. Guess who they listed their property with? That's a great <laughs> in. Yeah. Well, how big was Nike back then? Beds, me and you uh, talk about Nike being there. It's yeah. kind of a cool little thing that Nike was in, in yeah. town. But how big of a place was that? A lot of workers? Uh, we had 1,200 employees here in Saco. Oh. Yeah. And I got to know most of them because I worked in both the factory and in the office. Mm -hmm. So I, know, I knew the office personnel and I knew the factory personnel. So it helped oh. me out tremendously as they were transitioning. So did I get business from that? Don, sure Absolutely. I did. I'm sure I did. So after that transition, I went to work for Bill. It yep. wasn't very long. I only stayed with him about a year. And then I got an invitation from a gentleman by the name of Ray Jansen. He used to own an auto body shop here in Saco a long time ago. Mm -hmm. And he wanted to start a real estate office in Waterboro. We were the first real estate office in Waterboro. Back in Waterboro must have been so different back then. I mean, it's yeah, still yeah. There was no Hannaford, no none of that was there. So it was quite the experience because we started not only selling property up there, and we started a modular home company, did general contracting. We owned a carpet flooring place. Unfortunately, a lot of those people are no longer in the business. It was quite a while ago. Yeah, and that's when I transitioned to Colwell Banker in Saco with a couple of guys by the name of Doug Hooper and Bob Ferraco. Yeah. But all the time, what I did is I, I got involved with things. You know, I was mm -hmm. involved with the factory, so I got a lot of business from them as they transitioned out, and some even transitioned back. I still get business from Nike. You know, you'd be surprised how many people are still out there that worked at really? Nike. Wow. All yeah. right. Yeah. Um, and the other thing I did was I got involved with the city. I was on the planning board back from 88 to 91, but I knew a lot of the city staff because I went to school with some, I mean, I just got to know them. So mm -hmm. I got a business there as well. And another neat little trick that a lot of people don't realize is I used to go every Tuesday, I'd go out on the street and I go pay my bills in person. I was hoping you'd say this. I was hoping you'd say that. Ben and I were talking about this. Yeah. It's such like a, it's such a sneaky little tip, you know, like you got to know everybody by, yeah. I, I hate doing that. I pay everything I can online, but yeah. if you paid things in person, you would, you know, be like, oh, hey, Leo. And then you'd get to know all these people from all these different That's companies. Right. And I never had to tell them what I did because mm -hmm. they knew. Yeah. They had a real estate question. I'm there. Bang. It just helped. It helped me grow my business, grow my business, grow my business. And it was, it, it was a lot of fun too, because I, you know, I got to know everybody. I mean, I'd go to the water company. I get business out of the water company. Yep. <laughs> business out of city hall. Yep. You know, and then I joined La Carmes. I stayed at La Carmes board for 27 years. 
Yeah. I get to know a lot of people coming in and out of Lac Hermes. And plus growing up, Biddeford Saco area was mm -hmm. a big plus. So all my parents, you know, generations and stuff. I mean, it's all just built. And now I'm on the other side of it. Mm -hmm. But it's been a great, great career. No regrets. And I just have fun doing it. Yeah. I, I wanted to hop in real quick, Leo, because yeah. you mentioned that you were out in Waterboro and you transitioned real quick to the Coldwell Banker thought. I think you meant to say Prudential Prime Properties then nope. to Coldwell. Oh, nope. so it was Coldwell? It was, or... was the Coldwell Banker in Saco. It used to be Coldwell Banker Mariner. That's where the oh, State okay. Farm Office is today. And then from oh, there, okay. when times were a little tough back then in the early 90s, I transitioned to Prudential Prime Properties, which is mm -hmm. now Berkshire Hathaway. And yep. then from there in 2006, I joined Coal Banker Realty, which is where I'm still at today. You know, 2006, that just seems so crazy because my career started in 2004. Well, the tail end of 2003 and those first two years and change working with you went by really, really fast. It actually almost seems like you were there longer. Um, Bob Willett was a big influence in your life. Can you talk yeah. about him real quick? Let us know who he was and... Uh, Bob was a great guy. I, I knew his whole family, his brother as well. He had come over, to, you know, when we were wrapping up Coal Bank and Mariner, he says, come over to me and I'll, I'll guarantee you, you'll make all the money you need. And he was right. I made a lot of money back in those days. Uh, I was always at the Prudential conventions and stuff. I was always on stage. It was uh, quite humbling, but also quite exciting. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we, and he was just a great guy, great family man. Um, his wife is still around. I just saw her the other day, just before the holidays, matter of fact, mm -hmm. Lisa. Yeah. And uh, she's still out there, and I just love the guy. Mm -hmm. and, you know, Leo, you mentioned money, and it's like I don't, I don't want anybody listening to this to get an impression about how money was for you. Because nope. some people look at us a little differently when it comes to that, because the more successful real estate agents are ripping it and making decent money. I would love to comment or maybe have you comment on, I, I think it was just a byproduct of how hard you worked and the amount of people mm -hmm. that you knew. And it's like, I don't think you ever mistreated the fact that the money was there. The transactions were there. You've always been super generous with people. You've always you know, behind the mm -hmm. scenes with me, anytime I asked you for anything, for any of the various things that I've sponsored, you've always said yes. Yeah. So, and that's know. another big part of it. I always focused on the transaction, not on the, not on the reward at the end. I knew the rewards would come. If you do the transactions, the rewards will come. Yeah. I, I never counted on it. I just said, and, and there was times when it was really rough, you know, family of four. And when the market sunk in 1991, I worked all day in real estate, never gave up, went to the office every day mm. and still worked at the bowling alley at night. Way back when, Vacation Land Bowling. Yep. Did I get business out of that? Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> but just by knowing people. Did I get business mm -hmm. from La Carmes? Yes. Did I get family, friends? I just built it, just built it just by knowing people uh, and them trusting you. That's a big key. Mm -hmm. Leo, you, you had one year and I think it was in the eighties, you said to me. So, so mm -hmm. Leo was describing to us how 
you know, I mean, things have gone well for you, Leo, over the mm -hmm. years, but yeah. a couple of those lean years, what did you say? You had like eight transactions one year, which did bring you to the bowling alley. You yeah. were grinding yeah. to support a family. There's hardly nothing. So it's uh, not, you know, it's, it's rough not, to support a family on uh, eight transactions back then. It wasn't, it wasn't like money of today. Yeah. Uh, it, it was, it was a little rough. I mean, I can remember, you know, we'd go ask for help and they wouldn't give us help because the car was worth too much. Yeah. Think about that. And, yeah. you know, we'd have to go to my parents, get some food and stuff. I mean, we all go through the hard times and it's uh, a lesson learning is what it is. Do you, do you ever just look back at it and it's, it's just like, a snap of a finger of how much time went by, or do you remember intimately how hard that was? I remember all aspects of it. Uh, yeah. Another big aspect was helping my family. I've helped all my siblings. I helped my parents and that brings back rewards tenfold. Leo, just to, uh, just before we let you go, what advice would you have for people starting in the business? Like, what do you tell these new agents that come into Cobalt Banker? Is there anything in particular? Well, I'd say get involved. Get to know your fellow agent. That's a big thing. I was on the York County Council for a long time. I went through the chairs and I was the president in 2020. But by doing that or being involved with the council, I got to know most of the agents in York County. It was amazing. And again, always support the stuff that they did. You know, we gave money away, scholarship money. We've we've done, you know, food drives. We've done blood drives. We've done, you name it. We've done it and you got to be there to support it. And also a year that I was in there, we did something for the homeless vets. Since I'm a veteran myself, that was really close to me. So it, it's been great. But if they, if they get involved with, at least with the realtor organization, so they work together with the agent and they put, can put a face to it mm -hmm. and you got to work together. You can't be an adversarial situations yeah. you got to be together that's yeah. you know and you work on a transaction that. together you'll have a happy ending yeah that's um, great advice randy it's interesting for us because we're in this like here we are recording a podcast with leo leo i bet you never thought you'd ever be on a podcast but you know you've got you've got real <laughs> you know what they are <laughs> <laughs> well hey i'm glad we could be your first one yeah um, <laughs> I'm actually in Leo's house right now, so I can set him up so he can do this with us. Leo, it must be so interesting for you to, like, you work around Facebook. I, I see you. You like some yep. things. You comment on occasion. I know you were, yep. like, hesitant to get into social media. Yeah. What, what is it like for you? And I, and I think the message that Randy and I were really trying to come across or the value we want to give other agents is, like, talking to other human beings. And you are mm -hmm. obviously really good at that. Yeah. Would your message be like, even though you're really good at doing videos and doing reels and podcasts and stuff, just don't forget <laughs> the people, you know, yeah. don't forget. I, I, people, right? I basically, uh, you got to imagine when I started, it was only face to face, didn't have cell phones, didn't have beepers. You didn't have a computer. I mean, you had a book that came out every two weeks. So you had to basically get to know all the agents in your office and other agents around your area because how are you going to find out about a new listing? You get a two week period where you're just working through the book, working through the book. Yeah. But if you knew a lot of agents around you, again, being involved, they'd call you, Hey, I got this coming up. You got any buyers for this? Boom. Mm. 
or I'd do the same for them. I'd call them up. Hey, I'm listening to this. I still do that today. <laughs> if I got something coming up and I tell the people in the office, I tell people at cribbage. <laughs> Love it. So, you know, I just do. I was at cribbage last night telling somebody about a listing I got coming up, coming on the market on Friday. Just um, sorry to interrupt you. I want to give a perspective. If you don't know Leo, um, Leo, I think probably one of your biggest years when you had Leo's sold team mm. was within the last 10 years and you did over $50 million in York County. Is that correct? Uh, no, that, that was two years worth, but I did uh, 120 transactions. And this was in 2004, 20 years ago. I did 120 transactions, 28 million in sales that mm -hmm. at that time. I mean, that's when my, my sales were, you know, a hundred to. I was going to say, just think of what the thousand. average sale price is. I mean, was, $28 million would be a good year for a lot of people now. Yeah. Back then it's yeah. like, you know, that's mind blowing. Really cool. Yeah. It was crazy. But mm -hmm. also I worked 80 to hundred hours a week way back yeah. when. Yeah. Like you said earlier, you know, my wife has been wanting me to slow down for a long time. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I'm surprised I'm still here to be honest with you, but it's coming to that time because I see the generational shift. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people I knew when I was doing pay your bills and all that stuff, a lot of them are retired, some pass away, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and now the younger ones are coming in. They're very well versed on computer stages of mm -hmm. this business. Uh, myself, I do okay. I can mm -hmm. keep up. But with all the changes that come each and every year, it's tough. It's yeah. tough for, for me. I know it's easy for the younger generation, but it's tough for me. Well, listen, I appreciate you taking time to come on the podcast. <laughs> Loved hearing about the career and the stories. And I think you shared some great advice. So I'll look forward to getting this out for people. I think it's really right. cool. So. Well, thank you. Thank you for having Leo. me. I appreciate Thanks, it. Steve. Thanks for doing this, Leo. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thanks, bud. All right, that was great, huh? Yeah, what do you what do you say when your when your career flashes before your eyes? When you look mm -hmm. at somebody that gave you an opportunity, you know, and it was just it's it's always been an honor and privilege to work with him. Yeah. So, earning his respect was like one of my career highlights. So, yeah, I I love me some Leo. That's cool, man. Right? I think about people like that in my businesses. I I have Leos in my business and you probably have other Leos too, like in the sense that there's people that took a shot on you trusted you help build your business and it's just great and leo's one of the great ones so it was awesome to have him on um, um good yeah i was just gonna say i know we kind of want to wrap this up but i actually met leo because of the homes for sale book mm -hmm. in the journal tribune so those of you that are listening to us that remember the journal tribune and those home for sale books leo bergal's name was all over it and when i was <laughs> like 21 22 years old i was like mm -hmm. i'm gonna call leo bergal and see what it's like to do real estate <laughs> And here I am sitting in his house in 2024, you know? Yeah. It's recording a podcast. Wild. Recording a podcast. It's so crazy. Yeah. Um, all right. So we're going to wrap up. Only things that I'd want to share is that we have a couple things coming up. I mean, we're going to continue to do the podcast on a monthly basis. But next month, we have a homebuyer class that me and you are doing together, which will be kind of fun. Yes. We're going to be doing that in the office tail end of February. We'll share that online. Most of the people listening to this probably wouldn't be interested in that sort of thing. But we are excited to be doing that in the office, get some people in there, see if we can drum up some business that way. 
And then in December of this past year, 2023, we held a Ask the Appraiser event, which we fit 20 people into the office. Ellie from ValueQuest came up and talked. We thought that went pretty well. So we're going to do another one of those, not Ask the Appraiser, but it's going to be Ask the something, which we're still figuring out, whether it's Ask the Underwriter, Ask the Renovation Specialist, Ask the whatever. But we're going to be doing that in March. So we'll be sure to share that. And if we can fill the room with 20 people that would find it beneficial, we'll definitely look forward to it. What are your thoughts on that stuff? I, I just think given value is something that we want to dominate this year, and this is the way that we're going to do it. So mm -hmm. we hope everybody enjoys, you know, the stuff that we put on and, you know, we'd love to see you in the future. For those of you that have been asked that you, you know, you couldn't attend, you know, the invites are going to keep coming and we hope to see you in the future, obviously. So. Mm -hmm. Love it. Um, all right, bud. All right, man. I think we're good to go. So we'll catch you next month. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Okay. Thanks. See ya.